the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we have some great guests in a few moments. We will talk with our friend Ted Malik, uh, And also we'll catch up uh, with uh, Eric Cut. Uh, excuse me, Cut. I do it. I do it on the, do this with him. I had him on the show a while ago. Cardal Cardal. He's an attorney who helped the uh, St. Thomas More Society, a public interest law firm in some of the election integrity cases. So we'll get an update on that. Uh, first, uh, what you need to know today, I want to expand on uh, what I talked about yesterday, and that is uh, the late, great Kitty Worthman, who passed away this week. She passed away Thursday uh, and she was uh, Thursday, um, July 14th. She was 96 years old, 96 years old, and she was amazing. And she lived in Pier, Pier, that's how you pronounce it, you kids that are practicing, Pier, P-I-E-R-R-E, Pier, South Dakota. That's where she lived after she came to America in her early 20s, I think it was, because um, she left Vienna, Austria, after World War II, which I tell you, there's many things to tell you about her. Kitty Worthman's life, um, she became active in pro-life and conservative politics um, in the in the 1960s into the 70s, particularly starting in the 70s with the ERA, the effort to pass the ERA. She was instrumental. She became a great friend of Phyllis Schlafly's, helped her with the um, uh, pro-life plank in the in the Republican platform. And then just all these years, I was, I've known her about 20 years and a little bit less. And so that was from her from her 70s into her 80s. She was active in the South Dakota legislature. She'd come out to Washington, D.C. and lobby folks here. She she wrote a little document about how to lobby, um, uh, how Kitty, how I lobby is what it's called. And it's extraordinary. It's typed um, typed pages. It was, I think, typed, typed. Let's see if there's a date on it. Let me look at it closely. If there's a date on it, it was um, from the 80s, I think. And it's uh, all the practical tips. Uh, I guess it doesn't say it must have been the early 80s. Um, number one, I don't beg. Number two, I don't threaten. Number three, I don't claim I'm always right. This is her list. Uh, and she goes on from there and talks about how you make an influence and how you make how you influence people lobbying wise. Uh, extraordinary. But there's a couple of things about her life that were amazing as a young girl. And she talks about this in some t- some talks that are available on the Internet. Um, she was 12 years old in 1938. She says she describes how there was a referendum, a, a vote of the people in Austria. And uh, 98%, if I'm remembering it right, let me find Yeah, 98% majority elected Hitler to take over Austria. They voted for him. That was March 13th, 1938. And she's told the story, and I've heard her talk about it. She was in sixth grade. And she said the day, the day before it happened, in every school, public school, there was a crucifix on the wall. The day after, there was a picture of Hitler. And she said it was that dramatic, the swing. And she talked about how she was at Sundays. They started to not have church. They had National Youth Day where they had the kids do games and have fun. She used to say they made it so much fun that you didn't want to go to church with your parents. She didn't, when your parents said, don't go to the youth day where they're you know, indoctrinating you, she said that the kids wanted to go because they were riding bicycles and motorbikes and playing sports and all. And so it, she talked about all this. One of the times she was very slight. She was probably like five, three. She was, um, and as an adult, 
when she was a girl, she was also still pretty uh, petite for her age. And they would put her in the front row a lot because she couldn't see over other people. So one time Hitler came to their school, uh, to them school, I guess it was their big school. And there was an assembly and she was in the first row and she was 25 or 30 feet from Hitler. Imagine, you can imagine what it's like to sit with her and talk to her about that and what it was like. I mean, to hear someone say that. So she, um, she talked about how gradually Hitler, when he won, um, he took over. It wasn't a dictatorship right away. It was a sort of slow thing. And she talked about the threats that she saw around her in America. So after she was um, uh, uh, lived through the war, she actually was helping the Americans uh, in the recovery period. And she was granted citizenship or a pathway to America in part, she said, because what she was helping them do, which was uncover corruption, she had done undercover. She had done as a sort of agent of America and the Americans who she, for, for whom she always described her gratitude. Well, she comes to America. She marries a doctor. They move to South Dakota and they build their life. But one of the funny things about her, she spoke German, obviously, fluently. She's, I think she spoke a couple other languages. At various times, she played key roles in the late Phyllis Schlafly's efforts to go about doing things like, for example, when Phyllis led a contingent to Geneva to support Reagan in some of the negotiations there. Uh, Kitty went with the leftists. She knew the communists were having a rally and she went there and dressed, as she said, dressed up poorly and went to their rally and listened to them, talked in German and she could talk in German to them. She could hear everything. And she loved doing that. She one time went to Tom Daschle was her senator and she went to a um, an event that he had on the reservations for the Native Americans. And she went with a tape recorder and she dressed like a hippie and she tape recorded Tom Daschle saying don't worry if you, you know, we're going to get you free stuff. We'll get you free sneakers, I think it was, and free other things. She recorded that, and then she released it to the press. She was a character. She was a character, but she was wonderfully kind. She was very savvy. I've watched her lobby U.S. senators, U.S. congressmen, the, the maybe future Speaker of the House, um, Kevin McCarthy, she met with. I was with her. She was amazing. One thing she also loved was the American Constitution and the rule of law. And she thought and, and fought against efforts by people to amend the Constitution or get a new Constitution. She maintained, like Phyllis Schlafly, that we have a great Constitution and we have a great tradition. We have great ethics and the rule of law. We got to live up to it. You can get a new Constitution. If you have the still still if you have still if you still have the same broken uh, people cheating and, and stealing and not paying attention to the document. Why? Why change it? And she didn't believe in that. So she was um, an amazing lady. And. Um, in the years that I knew her, she was an old lady. It was 19, probably she was 19, she was 70 years old until, um, excuse me, 96, probably 80 years old, excuse me, 81 until 96. So these years, and she was wonderful with my children. Uh, they've known her for years. We have pictures. I was looking back at them when they were, so it's about seven years ago when they were with her eight years ago. She just was wonderfully kind, wonderfully interested um, and had a great smile. One time we came to Washington, D.C. She came to D.C. to meet with a senator. And we went to a restaurant called Mozart's and Mozart's was Viennese cuisine. Uh, but in the front of the building was a um, international food store. And uh, Kitty had never been there, but she knew of it. She told me of it. And when we walked in, we had dinner and we finished. We were leaving out. She said, I got to go over here. And she wanted to get some, uh, I think it was some special, a kind of sugar, uh, an almond sugar. I think that's what it was. And so she said to the guy behind the counter, um, I'd like this almond sugar. And she had an accent. She had a Viennese accent. She said, I'd like this sugar. And he said, um, um, do I know you? And she said, well, I've never been here. And he said, but I feel like I know you. And she said, oh, I call frequently. And he said, um, 
are you Kitty? And she said, oh, yes. And he said, and then he recited her address because she would call from South Dakota and ask for food to be sent to her and they would ship it to her. And so uh, they had this great laugh and a great conversation. She just was filled with joy. And not but and she knew from her experience how it can slip away. It can be diminished. She started giving talks in the 2009, 10, 11, 12 period in with great frequently on two topics. One, the encroaching socialism of Obamacare and two, the threat that she saw with regard to some of the efforts to limit gun ownership. She believed the Second Amendment was not about hunting, not about skeet shooting, not about sports, but it was about stabilizing the uh, nation. And she had seen it. She had seen the nation. And so the two things that she was worried about was protect the Constitution because it has the right protections for us. And second, then, don't be fooled because the people of Austria voted for Hitler and then over a few years allowed Hitler to you know, dominate and take control and be a dictator. And she said she worried about people that voted for Obama and then didn't see the encroaching socialism. And so here's this lady, 80s, maybe probably 85 at the time, maybe, uh, uh, you know, 105 pounds, five foot two, going across the country, speaking to groups about the threat that she foresaw Obama if, if he weren't checked, if you didn't check his power. And they attacked her and the media attacked her and everybody attacked her. And she just kept trugging along. She said, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my history. And then I'll tell you what you, know, you should be worried about. And in the context of that, she felt like she was not only doing good, but that she was building the community and the kingdom. And she was a true believer. She was a great believer of faith, too, had a, a great husband. He, he predeceased her by almost two decades uh, and her children, too. Her children, um, she loved them very much. And so she'll be sorely, sorely missed. A great, great American lady, an American original, Kitty Worthman. If you do a search, Kitty, K-I-T-T-Y, Worthman, W-E-R-T-H-M-A-N-N, you'll see lots of her speeches, lots of her comments, lots of her being attacked uh, by the left and right-wing watch and all that kind of stuff. But if you get to see pictures of her, you'll see a smiling little bitty of a lady whose size, her small size, uh, was outpaced by her, her voice and her influence and what she did. So uh, I loved her very much. I'll miss her. And I was grateful, great privilege to be able to know her and work with her, Kitty Worthman. All right, everybody, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Eric Cardell, and Eric Cardell is an attorney. I was looking. He's an um, attorney in private practice his uh, whole life uh, and doing lots of different things and great things, but also he is a, uh, a, a very special attorney for a very special organization. The Thomas More Society is an extraordinary uh, organization, a, a public interest law firm that's done so much good for so many people. It's worth finding out more about them. ThomasMoreSociety.org. Thomas More Society. Well, Eric is an experienced lawyer, and so he's special counsel over Th- Thomas More Society and, uh, and specializes in pro-life, in, uh, in family issues, and also election integrity. And there you have it. That's what gets us to, uh, Eric, to our, uh, our uh, big hitter here uh, up in Wisconsin, what's happened recently with the, with the cases up there. So welcome back, Eric. First of all, thank you for coming on the Pro-America Report. Well, it's great to be here, and, uh, th- and thank you so much. And you know, we owe a lot of credit to Tom Brecken and Thomas More Society for forming sure this national public interest law firm that has ended up being a premier law firm for the proactive right 
Yep. No, it is. You're right. And that's, I'm glad you said that because uh, Tom is amazing. And it's been, as you say, it's uh, grown into, it's probably the most influential one in the country. I mean, you, you used to be able to say something like um, the ACLU uh, before they were lunatic, they went totally lunatic. They were lefty and they were liberal, but they were effective. And now I, I can't even think that they're effective. The only, the only other non-public interest uh, law firm that's as effective as Mark Elias and his network of people that are messing up the country. But Eric, let's talk about the Wisconsin uh, case uh, in particular. In particular, the Supreme Court uh, made a decision about absentee ballot drop boxes. Now, tell us what the case was and tell us if it matters for 2020 or is, is that so far in the past? And is this mostly uh, what what's coming? I, you know, some people are saying they love to say in the media, every single case, a chat, a question 2020 has lost in the courts. Well, most of them didn't actually get looked at specifically. But tell us what what happened when the Wisconsin Supreme Court and what the decision means. Well, I think you start with the actually the Thomas More Society work regarding the Zuckerberg money. Yep. So there was. Uh, Zuckerberg gave to Center for Tech and Civic Life 350 million. Mm-hmm. Of that 350 million, 8.8 million went to Wisconsin's five largest cities to increase, uh, you know, voting. And part of that plan was um, $216,500 for absentee ballot drop boxes. This lawsuit was started in, in, against Wisconsin Election Commission. Actually, it was Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty brought the case. It was brought before the 2020 election, so they tried to stop it. But the Wisconsin Supreme Court didn't take the original action, refused to do it. They said you have to refile in, in circuit court. They did. In January of this year, at the Waukesha County Circuit Court said that absentee ballot drop boxes were legally unauthorized. And then this last Friday, July 8th, the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court said they were legally unauthorized as well. And it also found that uh, absentee ballots had to be personally delivered and they couldn't be delivered by other people. So Wisconsin has an absolute ban on absentee ballot harvesting. But what importantly here is that you know, the absentee ballot drop boxes would never have been in Wisconsin unless the, the, the billionaire, you know, Zuckerberg and his nonprofit wanted them there. Right. And five mayors contracted into the use of the illegal drop boxes to increase voter turnout. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we won. And, right. and that's <laughs> a huge impact. Already, there's a preliminary injunction issued against Wisconsin Election Commission for the April 5, 2022 election. And then we, Thomas More Society has lawsuits against each of the cities to make sure that they abide by the absentee ballot uh, drop box ruling by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And they're rattling their sabers that they're not going to follow it. In fact, the Wisconsin Election Commission a hearing on Monday, uh, there was a 3-3 split on whether the Wisconsin Election Commission would inform the clerks about the Wisconsin Supreme Court decision banning oh. absentee ballot drop boxes. Seriously, wow. So, so a lot of people out there, uh, you know, really good people think that when a court decides an issue that the, the progressives accept it, they don't. They keep right. fighting, just like the Dobbs decision. Yep. And you, you have to kind of plan that way. And so that's why several months ago, the, was, uh, the Thomas More Society saw the cities probably wouldn't abide by the Supreme Court ruling because it only party is Wisconsin Elections Commission. So we brought the five lawsuits as sort of a, a, you know, a measure to ensure that illegal drop boxes aren't used. And the other thing about the progressives right now is they're perfectly happy with, you know, the, the sort of the red clerks uh, following the law, like no absentee ballot drop boxes. And then they have the blue clerks violate the law by using the illegal absentee ballot drop boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're, they 
basically want 95% compliance. That is the red clerks following the law, but the blue clerks violating the law to allow more people to vote. You know, and it's illegal. Uh, the, the, so uh, that's important because as you said, this is really actually really uh, helpful, Eric, to say this out loud, especially for non-lawyers that are listening, just because a decision happens, it's, it, it doesn't mean everything changes. And in fact, uh, uh, one of the pausing and looking backwards, again, we're talking with uh, Eric Cardell, who's uh, with the Thomas More Society as a, one of their senior attorneys. And, and um, looking back at what was admitted by the left in 2020, they said they, quote, fortified the election. Now, we, we in their admissions that was in like Time magazine or something, they they claimed and, and I, I guess we should you know warn that we don't have evidence in front of us that they ever did anything. But what they claimed, which was use the law appropriately, they didn't break the law, they say they just use the law, but they did use the law and they stretched the law and they used the court system. And Eric, one of the things on elections is if you get a, if you get in Pennsylvania, for example, you get the state court to give you a, a, a ruling. At the lower court level, it may be what tells the election authority what to do. How worried are you that that's what's coming in the fall? Well, I'm I'm worried about that. But but remember, in this Wisconsin Supreme Court opinion, uh, that they found a violation of law, and it it was Zuckerberg funded, right? So so that means that you know this group of yeah. people that were collaborating, they funded a privately funded an election illegality. And so, so, you know, that's done. I mean, the, the right. election was rigged. I mean, they, they violated the law to influence the election result. And so I, I think that, um, you know, what's happening here is that, you know, the, the Thomas More Society, the election integrity lawyers are going through this stuff and we're finding um, violations of law all over the place. I mean, the big issues we're working on right now are, um, you know, not non-citizens voting. So, you know, it enraged people that in Wisconsin and Michigan, that the non-citizens apply for driver's licenses with their green cards and work permits. Right. And that information that is not used by the secretary of state to make ensure those people don't register in neighboring states like Minnesota and Ohio, it's very specific in the law. Look, uh, when these non-citizens apply for driver's licenses, make sure they they're not reg- registering to vote because they're non-citizens. Uh, we have in Wisconsin, a huge issue with the progressives voting nursing homes in urban cities at a hundred percent rate and, and they're not checking the guardianship records. So even wards and our guardianship orders with no vote restrictions are just voting in, right. in Wisconsin. And then, then another, another issue is, you know, the ineligible felons voting. Yes. No, no one's checking up on them either. So I think that this is all coming to a head and, and right now we're just getting killed on messaging. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely killed. Like, you know, the other side's cheating, and they're saying they're for people voting. Right. And right. we have to say, look, the two purposes of registration systems. One is allow eligible people to vote. The other is to stop ineligible people from voting. Right. But they'll say in court, and they've said this to me in arguments, that if you if you stop ineligible people from voting, you'll discourage eligible people from voting, which is just poppycock. But it's a talking point and they're winning. Um, and, um, the, the, the point about the messaging is, is stunning. I mean, until, until the 2020 election in the years between 2016 and 2020, it was the, it was the left and it's particularly publicly Democrats who were saying the election system is, is problematic. It's, there's lots to worry about. We got to change it. Um, but Eric, again, Eric Cardall, who's with the, uh, Thomas More Society and I'll put it up on social media. The one worry is when you see the problems in, Wisconsin, you see some of the reports of the problems in other states. 
you want solutions. And, you know, the, the Pelosi and the gang came up with a federal solution that thankfully didn't go very far at all. H.R. 1, which would have been, you know, sort of nationalized and federalized the election system. And, and so we don't want that. I think most people should not want the same people who did the Mueller investigation, the January 6th Select Committee or check your tax returns. All those things, you know, to, we don't want them in charge of elections. On the other hand, 50 uh, states and many jurisdictions in a state having control of the elections. How do we get? A, a system that has the confidence. I mean, I ran the election board in St. Louis. And when I did, I used to tell people there's two factors, two, two sort of goals. One is to run a good election. You have to work hard at it and you have to have the Super Bowl, you know, two or three times a year, but you don't get to practice the rest of the, you only get to practice the rest of the year. You don't get any game experience. So it's hard. And you have to have a system that's secure. That's hard. But then the other second goal is you have to have confidence in the system because if people don't believe the system works, they start checking out. And so how do we come up with a system when it's so clearly problematic in so many places. Well, I, I think I think we have to come become a lot better at messaging. I mean, this is you know they have their talking points, and we have to become more sophisticated regarding our mm-hmm. talking points and fighting back and being more politically effective. Uh, mm-hmm. One example would be on the Zuckerberg issue. You know, three hundred fifty million he gave to Urban Election Administration influence the election in twenty twenty is that um, working with Foundation for Government Accountability, we started lobbying state legislatures to enact bans on private money and election administration. I'm happy to report to you that uh, on um, Monday, uh, uh, Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, a Democrat, uh, signed off on a law, which is the 21st state since the November 2020 election, to ban private money in election administration. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Big states too, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, Texas. Yeah. These aren't little states. You know, today I can tell you that if if Zuckerberg wanted to make the same contributions the same way he did in 2020, uh, about 60% of his contributions would be illegal because of these state legislative bans. Is is the is the but money flows downhill? You know, I remember you know, and especially money in politics, right? Is there it, what's the next workaround, right? Is it um? Well, you know, I I, I think that I. People did. I don't know why, but people didn't see it coming. I know even some Republicans elected uh, clerks took the money from Zuckerberg because they were trying to get out the vote and train people, whatever. But where's your worry that it's coming next? Because money doesn't stop. It just looks for another way in. Well, I I think you you just go back. I mean, the issues that really rally, you know, super majorities are ineligible people voting. So in these states where the progressives are just pounding on this idea of having ineligibles voting, non-citizens, felons, wards under uh, no vote guardianship orders. You know, we got to fight back like hell. I mean, we're defending a system and the system is intended to have eligible people determine, eligible voters determine who wins the election. Right. And, the, and the progressives are just, uh, they're talking points. They're absolutely determined to have these ineligible people vote. And, and I, I think that that's one of the big battlegrounds. I mean, there are all sorts of battlegrounds regarding absentee balloting, um, uh, curing absentee ballots, uh, election observers, so forth. And we're engaging in those battles in uh, uh, particularly Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. But it, it's hard because the left is absolutely committed. And, and basically, I, I listen to some of their internal communications, you know, mm-hmm. uh, online videotape conversations. Right. I mean, their premise in their conversations when organizing for elections is they're for democracy and we're fascists. Right. So, so we got to have some non-cancelable people stand up like yourself 
and stand up and say, look, we're going to engage in election administration because we have to, because if we don't, uh, you know, they're going to have ineligible people determining all these elections and they're going to be cheating like they were. Now, I think one big point, though, and I really want to convince you that that decision in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, that 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 is a case where the rigging has been exposed in the 2020 election because Zuckerberg funded the absentee ballot drop box in the Wisconsin five cities to increase voting turnout, and they were illegal. So, hmm. so they can't say anymore that the, the right. election is fine because the Wisconsin election result, the presidential election result, the Trump-Biden presidential result in Wisconsin is cast into doubt because of election official illegalities regarding the absentee drop boxes. Hmm. Um, Eric Cardall is, uh, again, uh, an attorney in private practice, longtime attorney, but also a, a, a senior uh, a lawyer with the Thomas More Society. Hey, um, thank you, Eric, and, and we'll follow up on this. I, I, you know, my, my takeaway, half of my takeaway is uh, we got to have smart lawyers like you keep fighting. But the second one is this messaging. You know, when we see the narrative machine against us, you know, big tech, big media, big government is what I say, and they jam this message, in, and our side is saying, well, we're for the truth. Well, the truth isn't, isn't getting through. I know the truth will set us free, but the truth isn't getting through to the electorate. And, and, um, and we've got to figure out how to uh, change that. So uh, thank you for um, your efforts on this and I uh, appreciate talking to you. Great. Have a super day. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, I will put up on social media, everybody, all the information that we got from Eric Cardall, who's with the uh, Thomas More Society, and we will take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend Ted Malik. Dr. Ted Malik is a well-known author. Uh, he is a uh, lecturer. He's taught uh, at some of the finest universities in the world and a businessman. And currently, he is regularly appearing over at American Greatness, uh, the blog amgreatness.com. He's got a piece up there, the title of which is Florida or California. And then the subtitle is, if you were to reproduce these models nationally, America would have an easy choice to make. So welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Ed. So first, is there, you know, the media is fascinated right now with talking about California versus California versus Florida. Is, th- is that because their dream matchup is uh, DeSantis versus Newsom? I, I suspect there is some media interest in it because Joe is frankly tired, old, worn out. They probably even regret, you know, putting in power. Uh, and well, uh, Trump is good for ratings. It's um, no longer clear that um, you know I mean, the media has never really been for him. Right. That he has uh, the same level of interest that he had, say, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago. All right. So okay, but so this is the new new thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I tell people like you talk about talking past the sale. Um, you know, to me. Uh, if Trump wants to run, he's the nominee as clear as can be. I don't know why Trump wouldn't want to run. I think today Trump has much more strength than he did in 2015. And even in 2016, when they were telling him, oh yeah, you're divisive, you can't win, blah, blah, blah. He's got a record. He's got success. He's got name ID. And then if you, if you don't understand, people understand that the incumbent president, if he wants to run, and if you look at Joe Biden yesterday or the day before, whatever it was, when he looked at the camera and said, I don't care what the polls say about uh, this. If I run 92% of Democrats say they vote for me. 
he, people don't give up power. I mean, a guy like Joe Biden isn't going to give up power and say, oh, I'm old and tired. He's going they're going to force him out. But he's not he's going to go out fighting, in my, is my opinion. But back to your point, we're talking with Ted Malik in this column, Florida, California, uh, comparing the two is pretty stunning in terms of both the size of their economies. I guess California is a lot bigger, but in terms of the success of the economies, success of the communities, uh, walk us through your point here. Well, that is indeed the point. And, and this was a suppositional article. I'm not suggesting that it should <laughs> come to fruition. I right. agree with you. It's Trump's, if he wants it, uh, you know, the fact is it's still a couple of years off and it could be the case that, as I say, the baton gets passed on to the next generation of leadership. So supposition. I think uh, the Democrats are likely to, to pick somebody like Newsom because they need a, a different face. Right. Kamala's not the one. Right. Um, and if it were on the side of uh, Republicans to choose right now, the clear second runner is Ron DeSantis. Yep. He's young. He's aggressive. He's successful as an executive in Florida. So then the question, I think, becomes... And I, that's why I wanted to look under the hood. Uh, what would it mean to follow the California way versus the Florida model? They're two very different, very contrasting uh, ways of running governments with a very different success record. So if we have that face off, let's do a fair comparison. So th- this was meant to be, you know, kind of a factual. It's gotten a lot of attention, as you kind of. I bet. Imagine. I bet. Yeah. And Ron yeah. DeSantis, I could tell you this for a fact, loves it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the fact is, you know, you look under the, the hood and on the economy, you know, California is losing jobs, losing people. People are moving away. They lost a congressional seat on the cost of living. The, you know, the index is clearly in favor of Florida. California is too expensive. Gas prices are out of control. Housing is unaffordable. Uh, on taxes, people might not know that, but California is, of course, amongst the highest taxes, close to 9%. Uh, uh, when you combine them all, Florida is amongst the lowest, no state income tax on crime. You know, they're both in the middle, but Florida has a much better set of statistics when you look at the statistics. And, of course, California has prosecutors now in cities that don't enforce the law yeah. <laughs> on the streets. Right, and right. in some cities, police have actually been defunded. I think there are interesting statistics on education as well. Florida spent a lot of money and time. It's excelled in education. It's now ranked number three in the U.S. California is not even close. Uh, its literacy rate is on par with Mississippi's. I really like that sentence. Uh, and there's little school choice in California. Uh, There's pretty good school choice, but it could be better. In Florida, on the environment, Florida has 18 unhealthy days a year. California has a staggering 201 bad days, wildfires, water shortages, brownouts, infrastructure. You know, Florida's a long way from where it was uh, years ago. It's uh, you know, its roads have improved a lot. It has good internet access. California ranks 31st. I didn't realize that amongst the states, very poor infrastructure, horrible roads, very long commute times on guns. Florida basically allows them right in the state constitution. California has the toughest law, very hard on abortion, very mm-hmm. different uh, set of rules. Uh, for me, very important set of statistics around financial stability. Florida's stable, strong, AAA bond rating, balanced budget, high liquidity. California has just the opposite. Its bond rating has slipped. And it has, uh, I mean, I think it's ranked 36 amongst all you 
estate. So overall, it, when you tally up all these things, right, right. a lot of things. Yeah. Florida wins hands down. Florida well, well, in a recent survey ranked number one on freedom. California, California comes dead last. So if we were to reproduce these models nationally, which is what I'm suggesting, if the race were between DeSantis and, uh, right. and Newsom, Newsom, then, you know, there's no way that Florida wouldn't win. Well, so, and a couple points uh, in terms of uh, both states. And yet, I, I think I know that California, uh, probably because of the, what is it, Prop 13, the one that keeps your property tax down if you live there a long time, it, there there has been an exodus. But I, I, California still gets enough people either moving in or, uh, I mean, you know, the, it's still an amazingly vibrant state in the sense that it's got people and it's got economy, right? I mean, between San oh, Francisco. No, it's a big state, 40 million people, $3 trillion yeah. economy. Right. But people are leaving by the droves. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Negative point two out migration. I mean, you haven't right. heard a statistic exactly. like that about California. I thought everyone you know, since uh, the Beach Boys was moving to California. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's what, the, and that's what they certainly sell them on. But here's the thing. You talk about whether it matters. The um, uh, um, Gavin Newsom, I think he's in D.C. this week. Washington, D.C. came out to the swamp, and he's being covered by the media breathlessly for all his great successes on X, Y, Z, PDQ. Just in terms of winning, and of course, it's mostly lies, I think, but, but it, you know, and, and they're covering like cherry picking. But if you're Gavin Newsom, you're governor of the biggest state, so you can raise money from all the businesses in the state. That's one of the secrets I tell people. The reason why governors run for president is governors have a way to raise money. I mean, they have a way to. They, and, and but then he His goes. His aunt to, is Nancy Pelosi, but right, exactly. So and then he goes to and then he goes to the um, to the base and he says, "I broke the law and uh, started you know doing gay marriages as a mayor in San Francisco, which he did, and I did this and that's the other thing. I shut down nuclear. You know, it's de- devastating the energy economy in uh, in California, but I did it." I, I don't think he's got a problem with the base. Do you? No, he's a progressive. He's from San Francisco. Right. Uh, he'll, work, he'll work wonderfully. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think they should run him. I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money in uh, this kind of uh, slick hair product. If he does <laughs> run. Well, but, it's even, uh, it's other even. than that, I, don't, I, I, I will tell you, I am writing an article right now called The California Cabinet. So it's a, it's a commentary on which Californians Gavin Newsom would put into his presidential cabinet oh. uh, were he to become president of the United States, which I think is uh, uh, nearly an impossibility, but it should scare the, the Jesus out of everyone. Well, and and but even weirder, not to be too tabloid here, but imagine if if, if Trump runs and say they push out Biden and it's Gavin Newsom and you have the Kimberly Guilfoyle effect. Oh, she was God. married. Hey, don't go there. Please well, say. it's I mean, it's just I'm all I mean, that, you know, it's going to happen, right? They're not going to the media is not going to leave that alone. I mean, they, they're, they're I don't think do you. How could you leave it alone? It's it's just too juicy. But <laughs> um, yeah, well, we'll put her in the California cabinet. then. <laughs> There you go. It'll be bipartisan. It's bipartisan. All right. As always, Ted Malik is a great piece. This one's a good one. Uh, oh, oh, so the preview, I love that we preview. Next week, we'll go get you back and we'll talk about the uh, Gavin Newsom kitchen. Yeah, that's a week or so away. I've got okay. one in between, which I think oh. you'll really like. It's oh. kind of uh, Limbaugh-esque. All right. What is it? Give us a little tease, a little it's something. It's called It's All a Scam. All right. Give me, give me one word or two. Would, about would, what you think, would you think that the government media, academia, uh, the news media, et cetera, all lie to us? 
Well, it seems pretty likely to me. It seems happening all the time. So, all right, good one. All right, Ted Malik, we'll look for that. Thank you, the great Ted Malik. Go to American Greatness. I'll put this piece up on uh, social media, and uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The unelected globalists that convened in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum event plotted their next moves to entangle all of us in foreign conflicts. High on their list was to add Sweden and Finland to NATO, thereby provoking Russia even further. Turkey, happily, quickly vetoed this, which it has the right to do, but globalists don't take no for an answer. Senators Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer insist on pushing the expansion anyway. It should be remembered that Donald Trump lifted McConnell to re-election in 2020 when Trump won Kentucky with 62% of the vote, and his coattails helped McConnell win too. McConnell-led senators voted against oversight and transparency for a $40 billion aid package in new American funds to be sent to Ukraine's NGO regime, which could best be described as a web of shadowy non-governmental organizations that are unaccountable to voters or taxpayers. Billions will thereby flow to leftist groups, some likely associated with George Soros, to promote liberal policies in Europe, and possibly they'll flow back to America and do the same here. To underscore this point and its influence, it's worth mentioning that we've already seen clamoring for Poland to rescind its pro-life laws in order to accommodate liberal politics for the three million Ukrainian refugees that are charitably accepted into Poland. A tiny fraction of the $40 billion blank check might be enough to flip conservative Poland to the Soros side of these issues. That's the power of globalism. Globalism is a high-stakes game with the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Of course, the power players revel in the authority that such a high-stakes game affords them, but the world should not suffer just so a few rich people can enjoy a power trip. We should be thinking about how we can help the most people possible, and globalism definitely is not the answer. Throwing money blindly at problems like Congress did with the $40 billion aid package for Ukraine isn't going to solve anything. Putting America first in all foreign policy decisions is the shortest path to prosperity worldwide. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I want to finish up with a message. Um, just a couple minutes here as we wind down and head to the weekend. I have a friend of mine, Dan Stacy. I've known for quite a bit, uh, quite a number of years. He's a uh, state representative in Missouri, and he's married to a wonderful woman named Lisa. And I've, I've, I've known them for a while. I've certainly known Dan for a long time and heard him talk about his wife. And uh, she's facing a real serious illness. And, and I have uh, one other friend and a family member who are facing serious illnesses at the same time. And so Dan was on our, <clears throat> excuse me, our prayer call, our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles 
<clears throat> prayer for America call, which is every uh, Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you ever want to join, just send me an email, ed at phyllislafley.com. And he came on to pray, Dan did, and he's uh, trained in um, in the Bible, and he's a, um, a, a, a worship leader. He's a band, a, a talented musician. Anyway, he said he shared a bunch of different prayers, and then he pr- gave us a, a scripture his wife had given him, um, and she's the one facing the illness and, and facing a, a real challenge. And, and uh, it's uh, Philippians 1, 21 through 26. And I just point you to it um, because in my life, it was like God came down and through Dan and, and Lisa delivered this scripture to me to help me and help, uh, like I said, my good buddy and one of my family members, uh, my extended family. And um, it's a great passage. Um, and it was right what the Lord needed. And I, what I wanted to do uh, in this brief um, segment where, <clears throat> excuse me, I so often thank um, the good people that helped me, Noah, Joanna, um, that helped with the show and all the great people. I just wanted to thank the listeners and thank the people in our community and people like Dan and Lisa, and then thank God because God's the one that puts them in our path and uh, puts his wisdom into them to deliver. And so I just wanted to tell uh, Lisa in particular, um, I'm praying for her. I'm praying for my good buddy's father, praying for my family member, my cousin, it's a cousin. Um, I just pray and, and thank you, Lisa. Thank you for being a, um, Thank you for being an, an instrument of the Lord uh, for me and for what you do for Dan and, and your family and all. It's just wonderful. And I just um, I have a friend that is a real expert on how to listen to the Lord. And uh, he's taught me when you see the Lord moving things, make sure to identify it and thank God, uh, but also thank those people who have been God's agents. So Philippians 1, 21 to 26, I'll give you the first, first one, 21 for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. It's amazing. And so thank you, Lisa. Uh, I'm praying for you, praying for uh, all of uh, the families, uh, your family and all the families. And uh, God bless you. God bless you. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, we'll take, uh, we'll wrap things up. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, have a blessed weekend, everybody. And we'll be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back next week. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.